Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of Tackles and Turnovers. I am your co-host, Andrew Jarez Fernandez. Um, and I'm joined with my other co-host, Stephen Sheehan. Glad to be here. Uh, two ruggers that are now forming uh, our football minds together, even though we cheer for uh, two AFC East rivals. Uh, obviously, one of us is actually used to winning, so maybe Andrew <laughs> will be able to turn it around. This year. Right. Maybe, maybe I could get some notes after all these fucking years, you know? Yeah. And they hate us because uh, they ain't us, you know. Now that Brady and Gronk are out of here, you know, maybe you actually have a chance to, like, not finish in last place anymore. I mean, hey, it's it's all respect, bro. It's all respect, you know. <laughs> At least you're not a Jeff fan, you know. <laughs> that, could, that could never work out. That relationship could never work out between us. Yeah. So, you know, obviously this is your chance to uh, kind of make your, 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 your push for an AFC's title. This draft, uh, you guys have, you know, three first-round picks. Great opportunity. And we're definitely going to dive closer into what the Dolphins might do and how the Patriots are going to uh, still reign supreme. For sure, for sure. Uh, we have the draft coming up today. Um, so, obviously, our first episode is going to be about, lo and behold, the NFL draft. Um, I know we're super excited to watch this one, especially because it's going to be so different um, with it being all digital and, you know, everyone's going to be watching it from a TV and joining a Zoom or whatever technical theatrics ESPN is going to pull out. Um but it's definitely going to be very exciting, um, not just because my Dolphins have three picks, which I don't think I've ever been able to witness before, um, but it's going to be amazing. You know, I'm very excited, um, especially with the times that we're in with the coronavirus. Um, so I'm definitely very excited. Um, so real quick, do you have uh, – you want to go over the best players in this draft real quick. I know, you know, if you watch – anything now on sports with ESPN, they've been killing the, the NFL draft and talking about nothing but it. Um, but do you have any players that stand out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it goes without saying, but Joe Burrow to me is definitely the best prospect in this draft. Um, kind of a cool fact. Uh, you know, he obviously exploded out of nowhere in his senior year at LSU. Uh, a lot of that had to do with uh, passing game coordinator, Joe Brady. Uh, he actually was a high school teammate of mine at Everglades High School here in Miramar. So uh, it's really cool to see him, uh, you know, kind of take off his career. Um, now, obviously, the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. And I think a lot of people are kind of a little bit down on Burrow as far as, you know, making an excuse that it was the system or the talent around him. But I 100% think that this guy could be the next Tom Brady. I think he has off the charts, leadership and intangibles, um, toughness, pocket presence. I don't care that he's not the best athlete. I think he's definitely good enough. And I think that guy is going to turn the Bengals into a playoff contender in this first year. That's my bold prediction. I love the kid. And um, on defense, I think Derek Brown from Auburn, the defensive tackle is an absolute monster. I think that he definitely should be a top 10 pick, if not a top five pick. But as we'll probably get into Obviously, the push for quarterbacks and offensive tackles might drop some of these defensive guys down the board. But I think Derek Brown is going to be an instant impact player. I think he's going to be way better than Quinnen Williams or Ed Oliver uh, from last year's draft class, where they were definitely very, very good prospects as well. I think Derek Brown is going to be an instant Indomitian Sioux type of impact player uh, right away. I totally agree with you on, uh, on Joe Burrow. Um, you know, we'll get more into it as we talk about the Dolphins because we all know the scenario between Tua or Justin Herbert. 
but I totally agree with you in terms of Joe Burrow's football IQ. Um, just a complete gamer, a total gangster on the field in terms of the way that he leads his team. Um, and, you know, a lot of people um, always fall prey to, you know, quarterbacks with, uh, you know, all these elite, you know, arm hand size and how far they could throw the football. But if you really dive deep into the quarterbacks and, you know, the good ones throughout the years, um, you know, not all of them have a cannon. Tom Brady, you know, doesn't have a cannon, um, even though, you know, he has enough velocity, obviously, to play in the snow up there in New England. Um, Peyton Manning. Now he'll be throwing in the warm weather at Tampa. Exactly. Tomorrow, so well, that's really exactly that's, in, you know, we he faces a new threat now with the rain and shit. But, you know, he'll figure that shit out. Um, but <laughs> going back to, you know, Drew Brees doesn't have a cannon. I wouldn't say, you know, Peyton Manning, obviously, I don't know if. I don't think he had a cannon, you know. No, um, definitely not. But the main thing is, you know, football acumen and football IQ um, and being able to lead. Like, if he, quarterbacks, I feel like that's such an under, like, appreciated, like, I don't know if you want to call it stat or, like, talent, I guess, is the ability to, like, lead men and um, just be able, you know, do, do what you do as a quarterback and make plays. And if you fuck up, you know, not be worried about the next play. Um, so I totally yep. agree with you on Joe Burrow. Um, and I loved, I loved when he won the national title and he just lit up a, c- a cigar. That was badass. Um, but I definitely agree with you as well with Derek Brown. My, my defensive um, prospect, I think, would actually be Isaiah Simmons. Um, just because he's so big and you can plug him at linebacker, you can plug him at safety. Um, and obviously we'll go a little bit more into it, uh, when the dolphins are up. Um, but he's obviously a potential draftee there. Um, so it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm glad we both kind of have like the same similar, uh, players there. Um, so, uh, I guess we could just dive into the Miami dolphins now that we covered our, our probably like our best players in this draft. Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to start that and like, not say Chase Chase Young. Like I think we both understand that Chase Young might be the best prospect in this draft. Um, we I feel like we just wanted to pick different ones that stand out to us, right? Uh, absolutely, because I mean, to me, the first two picks in the draft should be locks. Uh, the the Bengals should be taking Joey Big Balls Burrow, and uh, yep. I think you know Chase Young should be a lock to the Redskins at number two, especially with Ron Rivera with a defensive background. Um, you know, they've really built up their front seven. They've spent multiple first round picks in the last few years on uh, defensive linemen. Last year, they took Montez Sweat. Um, you know, the years before, they went to Alabama and they got Jeff Allen and they got uh, Deron Payne. And I think adding Chase Young yeah. is going to make their front seven easily the most talented in football right up there with the 49ers. So to me, the draft really starts at that number three spot with the Lions. And um, as we're going to get into that, that pick looks like it's going to be for sale. Um, because, you know, the Lions really need to uh, accumulate more draft capital and they don't really have a need at quarterback. So, um, you know, that's definitely something that will be in play. And uh, the Dolphins might be that team that moves up a few spots. I to- uh, <clears throat> sorry, I totally agree with you. Um, and, you know, going into it, you know, there's we'll start with, I guess, the latest. Um, uh, trying to find it here. I forgot. I forgot his name already. Who's the guy that just broke the news for them that they're going to? They were they're asking questions. He's on the NFL Is Network. It, um, Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport. Sorry about yeah. that. 
So the in, rap sheet. Exactly. Rappaport um, said, you know, the Dolphins inquired about tra- possibly trading up to the third third pick in the draft and possibly taking an offensive tackle. Um, and as a Dolphins fan, I don't know if you said that it would keep we would keep the fifth pick, right? Yeah, it was uh, from what it sounded like they were talking about trading the 18th and uh, what is it? The 18th and the 26. 26th. Yeah, 26. Um, to, to, to move up to three and then be able to take a guy at three and five, which I'm not quite sure if I'm, I would be on board with that as a Dolphins fan. I feel like at five, you'd be able to sit there and at least have a pick of most likely the second tackle off the board. But what it seems like is that there are so many teams that are in need of a desperate, you know, franchise tackle that Miami might be worried that, you know, the Detroit Lions and the Giants are in front of them. They could both trade back and then they'd be picking from maybe the third best tackle at that point. So Miami might be, you know, a bit more aggressive just to get the guy that they want. Um, And this class is very, very good at the offensive tackle position. There's definitely about four or five guys that are first round locks. You know, you got Makai Becton, who's like an absolute freaking monster. He's like 365 pounds when he's actually in shape. Yeah. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting pretty close to that right now. Just being <laughs> quarantining. So, uh, uh, you know, he's probably like the guy with the highest upside, but I believe he also has the, you know, the lowest floor. Um, you know, there's guys that are that size and it's, it's tough for them to stay in shape. You got Andrew Thomas from Georgia who's probably checks all the boxes as far as being just solid across the board. Tristan Warfs, who's like a, an excellent athlete himself, but has a little bit more polish and, you know, that needs to get done. And, um, you know, Jedrick Willis also from Alabama is another guy that people really like more of a right tackle. So right to me, I mean, you can't really go wrong with any four of them. They're all juniors, which is interesting. None of them are seniors. Whereas, you know, sometimes that experience actually pays off a lot more in college. So, yes. you know, I'm not sure what you're thinking as a Dolphins fan, but I think the offensive class, uh, offensive tackle class is very good. And I'm not quite sure they really need to like move up uh, to get one that when they're at picking at number five, but, you know, they've assembled all this draft capital. They might as well go after the guys that they want. Um, and they have, you know, extra picks to be able to do that. Right. So here's where I, here's where I stand as a Dolphins fan. Um, the, honestly, I don't give a shit what happens. Okay. As long as you walk away from this draft with Tua Tonga Vailoa, um, I'll consider it a win. If you have to move up. And it's just to get an offensive tackle because, you know, how many times do we see it year in and year out where nothing but tackles and defensive linemen and edge mm-hmm. rushers, they just fly off the board, you know? And we always put, you know, players like, um, you know, Todd Gurley and, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. And, yeah, they were drafted at their early spots. But at the same time, you always see these tackles and defensive ta- defensive linemen. Like, they just fly off the board. Um, so, Chris Greer, I feel like, is very smart approaching this in that way just to see exactly what it would take to move up to that spot. Um, if he didn't do that, you're not necessarily doing your job as a GM, um, especially in this – especially for this draft where it's so uncharted territories, you know? So, like – I think he's just covering all his bases, and that's fine. Um, and now, so if you move up to number three, supposedly, which is what this trade is saying, what tackle is it? Is it you, you know you hit the nail on the head? Is it Makai Becton? Is it Jedrick Wills? 
You know, and I if it's Jedrick Wills, I think I would be I would be ecstatic. You know, people have him as a top tackle, and like you said, he could be more of a right tackle. Which if you draft Tua, boom, you protected his blind side. Right, and yep. obviously they both went to Alabama, so you have that chemistry there. Um, so I think if that were to happen again, I don't care what happens in this draft as long as we get Tua. Obviously, it would be great if we didn't have to use any of our picks, but walking away with two picks in the first round as opposed to three, if we got those two players, it, to me, is not a big deal at all. Yeah, I think if the Dolphins can walk away with uh, a franchise quarterback and a franchise tackle and um, it only, you know, whether they have to trade up, but if they're able to walk away with those two players, um, you know, I think they're going to be really well set. I actually don't think they're that far away from competing, and that's uh, – a lot for me to admit as a Patriots fan, but I really like what they're doing. Um, and a lot of people don't really realize uh, Brian Flores basically spent his entire NFL career working for the Patriots. And he actually started his career in scouting and personnel and then got into coaching a little, you know, made that transition, which is something that Bill Belichick has, uh, you know, not really done for a lot of coaches. You know, he has helped, you know, obviously Matt Patricia get a job and, and Josh McDaniels got a job and returned to the team. But, um, Brian Flores really, you know, cut his teeth in the scouting area. So I actually think he's very, very good in that. And, and, and some coaches don't have that experience at all. So I think coming from the New England system, if you look at Bill Belichick's draft history in the first round, they love to go after big guys. So they either go offensive line, defensive line most of the time. And it's very difficult to find many busts other than Dominique Easley, who, uh, you know, I really loved him at Florida. I watched him play when I went to college there. I thought he was gonna be awesome, but the guy has literally knees made of paper mache. So uh, that never worked out. But you know, look at his draft history. They had Vince Wilfork, Richard Seymour, uh, Chandler Jones, you know, Dante Hightower is a front seven player. Nate Solder was a first round pick. Um, so I don't think you can go wrong there uh, building in the trenches. And they really started obviously last year by um, taking Christian Wilkins to be his, you know, first pick of his regime. And uh, I think he's a solid player. And if they can uh, do the same kind of with the offensive line this time around, and then you get a quarterback, I think they're going to be pretty well off because they've actually done pretty well upgrading their defenses here, which we will, you know, get into later in the, in the show. Right. So that's the thing, too, going back to Brian Flores. Um, I think it's too soon to necessarily tell um, who's calling the shots. You know, is it Chris Greer? Is it a tandem of two? Who breaks the tie? Things like that. Um, but, you know, going back to last year um, and doing a little bit of homework on Brian Flores, it seems like they do a really good job of working together. Um, so it's hard to be, like – um, optimistic when new regimes come in as a Dolphins fan because we've had so many new ones and so many busts. Um, but I, I truly feel positive about this one. Um, and, you know, I don't want to, like, rub it in your face or anything because, you know, you're a New England fan. But uh, we're just going to keep moving on. Real quick, I wanted to get your opinion because it's been such a hot topic uh, between Tua or Herbert at number uh, five. Um, yeah. So real quick, I'll ask you your opinion and then I'll go ahead and close it out real quick. Okay. Um, I am 100% in the Tua camp. I think Justin Herbert has a lot of qualities that we have seen fail at the NFL level. I think he's very similar to Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills, um, who we both are familiar with in the AFC East. Mm -hmm. He's not a guy that I fear at all. I don't think the Patriots respect Josh Allen at all. Um, 
they have everything physically that you would want in a quarterback, but I just don't see the accuracy, uh, you know, the mental side of the game. I don't think – I think there's a lot more risk to him busting out versus Tua. I think the only downside is the injury history. And, yes, that is a major risk, but I don't think people really appreciate just how dominant he was when he was on the field. And the fact is that he honestly produced for – a far greater stretch than Joe Burrow ever did. Joe Burrow was basically a one-year wonder at LSU in his final year. <clears throat> Tua won the national championship game for them, um, you know, coming off the bench. I mean, this guy has all the boxes checked as far as, you know, accuracy, toughness, intelligence. Uh, I think he's mobile. Yes, he's going to have to learn how to protect himself a little more. It was kind of a freakish injury, to be honest. Uh, yes, he's a little bit smaller. But I think two is the guy. I mean, if the Patriots, which we'll get into a little bit after, make a move up and get Tua, I would not be upset at all. I think, I think the guy's going to be a star if he stays healthy. And like you know, it's really hard to predict that. But I would rather put my money on him succeeding in the NFL with his health than Justin Herbert being able to fix all the flaws that he has in the NFL. Right. So here's a line that I always use. Well, not always, but I've had to use constantly. Within the past like few weeks due to the Tua injury. Um, basically, scared money don't make no money. So who would you rather go with? Would you rather go with a guy that just last year before this injury, just a couple months, like, what is it, four months ago? Just four months ago before the injury. We were talking about possibly number one, number two. And, you know, with Joe Burrow's crazy, like, college senior year, I think he had, um, like, that, yeah. it's a perfect senior year, like, there, he deserves to go number one, and we totally get it. But, you know, before all of that, we were talking about Tua being the number one pick. And I mean, you guys literally had a hashtag tank for exactly. Tua. Exactly. The guy was the guy was balling out, got an injury. But right. it, there's nothing on the field that he did to ever lose you no, know, his spot never. as QB1, except Joe Burrow. Yeah. Joe Burrow dominated to a degree we've never seen before. No one ever expected it. Multiple scouts have said they've never seen a guy make such a significant leap in one year. But Tua did nothing wrong on the field. Like, he still was the most dominant guy. Like, dude, he's statistically still the best quarterback of all time in the SEC. Um, but the fact is that he has the injury history. But, I mean, I don't think there's anything that, from a football perspective, of why he shouldn't be 1B to Joe Burrow's 1A. And I think the drop-off from them, from those two to, to the Herbert and then from them to Jordan Love and Jacob Fromm, uh, Jake Fromm and Eason, I think – I think talent-wise, Burrow and Tua are very close. I would actually probably argue that Tua probably has a little bit more physical skills, but, you know, Burrow has that mental side locked down, and he just came off like an incredible season that you just you just can't pass him over at number right. one. Right, and that's the thing, too, is, you know, Joe Burrow did it for one season, whereas Tua consistently did it for three seasons ever since he got put in to win that national title game. So – Right. And, you know, as you keep listening to our podcast, you'll keep finding things out about us. Um, Sheehan and I actually coached together for our high school. I'm not going to give them props right now. I'm not going to say who it is just because I don't know the repercussions. But we coached together for our local high school. And how many times, Sheehan, did you throw in a player and were you afraid of an injury? Like, you just – you can't coach – Yeah, you don't think yeah, about you that. you can't coach that way, you know. And players no. can't play that way either. You know, and so to knock some knock Tua out just because you're afraid of him getting hurt, you know, Tom Brady can roll out there tomorrow and tear an ACL. You know, anybody can get hurt. It's football. That's what it is. 
So, you know, I get, I totally get the concerns. I totally get them. Um, but I'm not going to listen to somebody else when doctors have said that he's okay to play. You know, again, the rehab that he's done is phenomenal. Um, so that's that's got to be thrown out there as well. So that's how I feel about that. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about how usually a lot of scouts fall in love with the height, with the arm power, you know, things like that. And it it derails them from seeing that they're just busts. You know, like I'm not and yeah. I'm not trying to say Herbert's going to be a bust, but, you know, the risk reward, like, you know, two is going to give you something and you don't really know if Herbert's going to give you that same exact production from the quarterback position. Um, yeah. And, and to me, at the end of the day, if you dominate the SEC, which is the best conference in football for three right. years and you played at Oregon and were never dominant, honestly, I just don't understand how you would just assume that he's just going to take over at the NFL level. I just don't understand that at all. So it's just because he checks the boxes physically in every way possible. He's got height, speed. Uh, he had a great combine workout. I mean, he's smart. He looks the part, but I just, uh, I think that you're, it's going to take a lot more for him to reach this, that potential. And Tua, I think can be a star immediately. It's just all about him staying healthy. Right. And just to summarize it up, it's not that we think Herbert's going to be a bad player. We're just saying in terms of comparing the two quarterbacks. I think that's right. basically what we're trying to say. Um, yeah. So we'll close the chapter on that. Um, and now we get to talk about your team, um, the Patriots. Um, admittedly, um, I don't know much. I know they pick at 23. Um, and I know Tom Brady left. And I know Gronkowski left. So you can go ahead and take it away. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's been a very, very strange offseason um, for the Pats. Obviously, Tom Brady leaving after 20 years of uh, providing countless memories. And, you know, I have a, an entire shrine of him and Gronk in my uh, man cave outside. It's kind of kind of hurts to have to look at it now. But um, it's a state of transition for this team. Um, there's a lot of factors that are going to go into this draft that'll ultimately determine whether they're going to still stay atop the AFC East. Uh, on one hand, they have absolutely no cap space. They're, they're third, uh, the third least amount of cap space, barely over a million dollars. So that's why they were very inactive in free agency. Um, and we're going to kind of touch on why they've come to that point, because typically the Patriots are one of the best teams as, as far as managing the salary cap. Um, they have one of the oldest rosters in the NFL, and that's even after losing um, 600-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> so um, in addition to that, they've drafted very, very poorly over the last few years. And why is that affecting their salary cap? Well, when you don't have uh, you know, a number of players on your roster on rookie contracts, you then have to overpay or pay for veterans who are naturally going to carry higher salaries. So the Patriots actually have quite a few players that are making, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars a year. Now, when you have a 20 of those guys versus having 10 or 15, you know, drafted guys that are on rookie deals, you're going to, the salary cap's going to be uh, affected. Not only is it their lack of draft success that's played into that, they have a lot of dead cap money from Tom Brady, who's counting 13 and a half million dollars, I believe, against their salary cap and Antonio Brown counting against their salary cap so two guys that don't even play for <laughs> oh my him. god antonio brown is still counting yeah, because they cut him right away after he uh you know couldn't put the damn iphone <laughs> uh so that's actually accounting for like i believe it's almost 20 million dollars in cap wow. space so that that's really hurting them so basically um if you look ahead 
this is actually a year where they could just kind of let all this go. They let a lot of guys walk in free agency, but after this year, they're going to have almost a hundred million dollars in cap space next off season. Wow. So I kind of see this as a way for bell for bill Belichick to really hit it in the draft. He kind of goes through cycles every four or five years of, of really hitting really strong. So if you look back about a decade ago from about 2009 to let's say about 2013, they really drafted the core of their team, Hightower, Marcus Cannon, um, Devin McCourty, Gronkowski, Edelman. All these guys kind of came in around that time. Then, you know, he kind of had a little bit of a lull for a little bit. Then they kind of – this is kind of the time that they need to pick it back up. So they have the 23rd pick. Uh, they do not have a second-round pick because they traded it for Mohamed Sanu, who was a total disaster after he got hurt last year. <laughs> um, that one kind of hurts a little bit. Um, but they have – three third round picks and now because of trading Rob Gronkowski they have two fourth round picks so they do have the ability to move around a lot on the second day of the draft and as we know there is no one in the NFL who loves trading back more than Bill Belichick so I would not be surprised to see them trade back from 23 to pick up that second round pick so they don't have such a huge gap Um, this is a team that actually has a lot of needs Um, when you look at their depth chart Obviously, wide receiver and tight end were a major issue last year. Um, Quarterback, you know, they have Jarrett Stidham. I'm very high on him. I actually think that he could be the next guy. He was a super highly rated recruit coming out of high school, a five-star recruit. uh, 247 Sports had him as the number one dual-threat quarterback. He was a stud at Baylor, and then he transferred. His first year at Auburn, he looked like a first-round pick, and then he lost carry on Johnson and had no one around him as a senior. So I I'm pretty high on him, but then when you look on their defense, they lost Kyle Van Noy who joined the dolphins. That was an excellent signing. I really liked that for the dolphins. Um, they also lost Jamie Collins who in the beginning of the season looked like a defensive player of the year candidate. So those are two premium linebackers and a Landon Roberts who also joined the dolphins. So they lost three basically starting linebackers. Um, Secondary's in great shape. They got McCordy, Chung, uh, and Stephon Gilmore obviously back there. They're very deep there. But right. the front seven on defense, especially the pass rush, and then I'm looking at you know adding weapons for Jared Stidham in the draft are, are the two areas I see them addressing. Um, and then the quarterback thing is just a total – no one has any idea what they're going to do there. They have no cap room to sign any veteran quarterback, so really that only leaves the possibility of them – taking another stab at it in the draft uh, whether they spend an early pick on it or not that'll say a lot to me about what how they feel about Stidham um, ultimately I think that they're going to have to spend those draft picks kind of building the rest of the roster and I think Stidham's just going to get a shot to kind of prove himself um, so we'll see I would I definitely don't think they're going to end up staying at 23 I think they're going to trade back ultimately right um, so basically all I really I know Jared Stidham and I agree with you on you know, because obviously I'm a Dolphins fan again, and I've always looked at kind of quarterbacks that would be coming on the draft to see if the Dolphins ever get smart enough to draft one other than Ryan Tannehill, just to give him a little competition. But um, I agree. I think Jared Sinem is a great quarterback, and I remember when he was at Auburn, if they were saying that if he came out his junior year, it, he would have been a first-round pick. But he exactly. went back to school exactly. and then did a senior year and then I guess didn't have such a great senior year. Um, and then he got – I don't know where he got drafted, second or third round, right, or something He like was that. in the fourth round last year. Okay. And um, one of the reasons that he he slipped is if – go look at his supporting cast at Auburn. He had – I don't think there – I think the only guy that probably made it to the NFL from his senior year was Darius Slayton, who actually had a really good season with the Giants. Right. 
Um, but basically what happened was he lost carry on Johnson to the draft, um, you know, who ended up with the lions and that kind of derailed Auburn. They obviously don't really have a great passing game. They're more of like that kind of weird, right? Like a gadget, like a gadget offense. kind of. So I think that in this system, this guy has all the talent to be really good. He had the best preseason of any Patriots rookie quarterback in Bell and Bill Belichick's 20 years on the team, including Tom Brady. Um, last year, he looked great in the preseason. He looked so good in the preseason that they cut Brian Hoyer um, right before, you know, uh, the final cutdowns. And he spent the whole year as Tom Brady's backup. So that says a lot to me that if Tom Brady went down, Bill Belichick felt comfortable enough that Jared Stidham would have been able to take over and, you know, hopefully lead the team, uh, you know, into the playoffs. So they did re-sign Brian Hoyer this offseason. Um, some people think he'll be a starter. I think he's there to obviously, you know, kind of push him a little bit. But I think he's more of that veteran uh you know mentor for Jared Stidham Hoyer spent a ton of of years in his system as Brady's backup he helped Jimmy Garoppolo as well um I think he's more of that kind of presence on the team I don't really see him starting or you know really it being a battle I just think they gotta get more weapons for him they have nobody at tight end um you know Nikhil Harry was uh, uh, let's just call him a first round bust last year. The guy barely was on the field. And when he was on the field, he really didn't do much. Um, Julian Edelman is going to be 34 years old. He's now the face of the Patriots. Uh, Muhammad Sanu, they got to get something out of him after spending a second rounder. Um, they don't really have much else there. So I think they got to try and go back to the receiver. Well, this is a historically deep wide receiver class. Um, you know, I've seen some projections that there could be like 20 receivers taken in like the top 100 picks. Um, you know, it's a stack class. You got CD Lamb, you got Jerry Judy, you got Henry Ruggs. Those are three first round locks. You got Justin Jefferson from LSU, who was uh, Joe Burrow's favorite target. I like one of my guys that I really like, uh, maybe in the end of the first or second round, is Michael Pittman from USC. Um, he's a big dude. I like him. Actually, uh, Nikhil Harry's teammate, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, is another guy that I like. T. Higgins from Clemson. I mean, you go down the list, there's a good, you can go at least 10, 15 deep of guys that could definitely make an immediate impact. Um, so I definitely see the Patriots um, addressing, you know, the tight end wide receiver need defensive line linebacker and maybe quarterback. Those would be my, you know, top four positions. They really got to address. They have 12 draft picks. So I could really see Bill Belichick, you know, bringing in maybe let's say three, four of those guys as immediate starters and hopefully building, you know, for that next phase where they build through the draft. They have a ton of uh, cap space next year. Then they can go after some free agents. We know Deshaun Watson ain't happy in Houston. There's been some rumors that, he, you know, that could be something that that might happen. Ugh. That would be swinging for the fences. I'll off myself, I think, yeah, I'll uh, off myself if the Patriots go You know what? With the, way that Bill o, with the way that Bill O'Brien values superstars, <laughs> the guy traded DeAndre Hopkins for fat-ass overpaid David Johnson in a second-round pick. So, you know, maybe we could swing him like Nikhil Harry – and he could just run like a six wide receiver set and uh, we'll just take Deshaun off his hands for him. So um, it's going to be an exciting draft for the Patriots. And I think it's honestly the most important draft um, in Belichick's history because this team really needs an infusion of young talent. Um, and that'll set him up big time for next offseason, which is where I think he's going to be willing to spend a little bit of money. Um, you're going to kind of probably move on from guys like maybe Edelman and Hightower and Cannon who are kind of long in the tooth. And I think this is kind of a rebuild on the fly. But as we know, Bill Belichick's the best coach in the NFL. They still have a lot of talent on the team, especially in the secondary where you have, you know, Stephon Gilmore was a defensive player of the year. Devin McCourty, they brought back, which I think was very important um, because of losing Brady. Um, 
and Van Noy. You know, Devin McCourty's the face of the defense. He's been there for a decade. Um, his brother is back as well, who's another good corner. J.C. Jackson is um, an up-and-coming star, in my opinion. They have a great slot corner in Jonathan Jones. So their secondary is the strength of the team. They still got Hightower. But I think uh, this might be the last go-around for some of those guys. And I think this is an opportunity for the Patriots to kind of reset and uh, build for the future. And um, really, it all comes down to whether Jared Stidham is that guy or whether they're still going <clears> to <throat> have to go out and find another one. So, you know, ultimately, they obviously traded Jimmy Garoppolo and went with Brady. He didn't really stick around as long as I think a lot of fans expected. Um, but ultimately, I can't really fault the Patriots for go- for kind of letting him go, essentially. I don't really think Be- Belichick made a huge effort to bring him back. And I totally agree with it. Um, it's kind of hard to say that as a Pats fan, but the guy's going to be 43 years old. Uh, money-wise, they just couldn't fit him in the salary cap. And there's just no precedence for a quarterback of that age to succeed. And I just think it was time to kind of turn the page and kind of reset. You know, they got six Super Bowl championships out of it. If Bill Belichick had played Malcolm Butler, they would have had seven. If Asante Samuel would have caught the interception or – David Tyree didn't catch a damn ball against his helmet. They could have had eight or nine. But, um, you know, it was a great time to be a Pats fan with with Brady and Gronk. It's going to be super weird to watch him running around in Tampa. Um, but I think it's a very pivotal offseason. And, um, you know, obviously as a Dolphins fan, you know this. I mean, this is a wide-open AFC. I could honestly see every team competing except the Jets. Except the Jets, yeah, suck. of course. But the Bills are actually a very, very, very solidly built and well-coached team. Right. I honestly think if they had any other quarterback that they would easily be the favorite, um, you know. And then I think the Dolphins are really heading in the right direction, and this is a huge opportunity for them to take a gigantic leap. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they had Tua – I would not be surprised to see the Dolphins competing for that seventh wild card spot. That's kind of my bold take, as even as a Pats fan. If they had Tua, I wouldn't be shocked if they finished with a better record than the Patriots next year. Yeah, it's it's super exciting as a Dolphins fan to hear all that. Um, and you know, you're right with Bill Belichick, and you know the greatest. Like you, like you said, you have 12 picks in the draft with Bill Belichick, probably the best coach to like manipulate the draft and trade down or trade up to get the players that you want. I think that's plenty of currency to cut the line if you need to, um, to draft whoever you need. You know, if it's, uh, you know, if you want to get in there and get an elite wide receiver, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what were happening with Bill Belichick. You know, we totally have seen Bill Belichick work magic before he turned a retired player to a fourth round pick. So that, you know, it's pretty crazy, dude, you know? Um, I think that's I think that's pretty much it with the with the draft for the Patriots. I don't know if you have anything else you want to go into, um, or if you just want to go ahead and go get into the uh, the trade candidates that we have. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, I think that pretty much covered it. Um, you know, like I said, twelve picks. I wouldn't expect them to be sticking where they are. I definitely think he's going to move around the board. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised to see him try and flip picks into next year. Um, that's something I think the Dolphins should consider as well because next year you got Trevor Lawrence as well, uh, Justin Fields. It's a stronger class. Um, I've also, you know, kind of heard some rumblings that due to the nature of the draft and, you know, the whole virtual aspect of it, that teams might feel more comfortable kind of kicking some picks to next year where things are going to be a little bit more normalized. But, um, you know, speaking of, you know, draft picks and trades and all that. There's, there's several veterans that are still out there that we know that they do not like their teams. 
Um, you know, some guys go as so far as to talk shit to the owner's son on Twitter, which is uh, how Yannick Ngakwe did it, which I think was amazing. And I love social media. It was such a great Twitter um, beef, like all time great. Like, yeah, I mean, he literally dropped the clown emoji on him. So <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Jaguars are a team which I think is absolutely the perfect example of what happens when you do not have, um, you know, an High owner and a players. GM and a coach who are on the same page because this is a team that three years ago almost beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game to go to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles at quarterback. And goddamn, they were so talented on defense and yep, they were just so freaking good. When you sit back and you look at all the players that they've lost and they're still continuing to lose. It's just, if you, if you can't get players with character and you can't get coaches to lead men, like, this is what you get. This is exactly what you get. You get Jalen Ramsey shipped off. You get a, a, Calais Campbell. Calais, yeah. How do you Calais Campbell? I could make an argument is probably like an all time great, not just player, but leader on the field. You yeah, know? absolutely. And it for me, it's kind of mind boggling that he's on his third team right now, um, and kind of wasted the end um, I don't mean, I don't know what you're gonna get from Calais Campbell on the Ravens. He could obviously it's the Ravens, so they can rejuvenate his career or whatever, but you know, they kind of wasted his prime, you know, like his prime, yeah. So and he's a beast, dude. It's Calais Campbell, six eight, three third like Yeah, he's he's a monster. And I mean for me for the Jags, it's just sad because they had built such an awesome core after so many years of being so bad at drafting. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had really assembled a lot of young talent. That defense was awesome and they basically disassembled it. Their biggest mistake of all time, all time, all time, which should be the number one reason that you should never draft a running back is they took Leonard Fournette at number four and they passed over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes for a running back for a running back who can't even catch the ball. And he's just a horrible teammate, horrible leader. Leonard Fournette's probably going to get shipped out tonight. Probably by the time this podcast posts, he might be gone. And Yannick Ngakwe, who's the best defensive player on your team left who's a pass rusher, who's under, I believe he's maybe 25 years old, 26, if that. Mm-hmm. And um, in his prime, he's in his prime. In his prime. I mean, dude, you don't, and he was a third round pick, which was a great value that you had for him. Now it's time to pay the guy. It'll show your culture, you know, show the rest of the team that they're taking care of the right guys. But I think both of those guys are going to be gone. Um, you know, you got on the Redskins, Trent Williams. That's been another example of a team that does no idea what they're doing. Finally, they got Ron Rivera in there, but, Trent Williams literally said, uh, fuck you guys. I'm not going to play this whole season. And um, he sat out and he's still on the team, which I don't understand why they didn't just cut cut bait and just move him for a second round. It doesn't pick make any point. sense. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that's another guy that I would expect to, to be moved tomorrow. Uh, maybe someone like the Browns might want to take him because they have a huge hole at left tackle. Um, they have a ton of draft picks that they could flip for him. I mean, that's a guy that when he's healthy, the guy's top five offensive tackle in the league. Now, He's aging. He wants a new contract. He hasn't really played a lot recently, but I mean, that's a guy that's a plug and play left tackle that you could still get a year or two of top production. If you're a team that's, you know, on the cusp and feels you're a player away or you have a huge hole, which the Browns Um, should feel like they are. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I mean, you look at the Browns draft capital. um, I definitely see them maybe sending a second round pick over there. They still have the 10th pick. There's no reason they can't trade down accumulate a few more picks and then flip one of those for, for Trent, for Trent Williams. Yeah. Um, you know, on the other hand, uh, there's a couple of uh, other offensive players that could be on the move. You got 
the Jets, Le'Veon Bell, that was another situation where you have a coach and a GM who aren't on the same page. You know the coach very well, Adam Gase. I know him very well. Phenomenal coach. Yeah. Uh, He's a guy that basically came out and said that he didn't really want the team to spend money on Le'Veon Bell. Well, uh, open your eyes wider, Adam. They actually already signed him, so you have no (laughs) other choice. Um, so that's the guy that maybe he goes on the move. Um, and then and I hold think on, the real guy that, just just to yeah. continue on the Jets, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm just bash Jets, bash Jets, bash bash Jets. But you know, for Adam Gase, you know, and you know, you I get, I know you remember me telling you like how all these people think he's like an offensive genius when hello he can't do shit, and you have the best running back in the game, and you barely use the guy like what are you what you, what exactly are you trying to do you know yeah. and it's not just Le'Veon Bell how many times have you heard about Jamal Adams getting traded to the Cowboys right you know and now there's a rumor that he could be traded to the Ravens too like these are these are players that you need to build your team around and you're just pissing right. them off and not having their back they're players like we live in a day and age where you have to coddle your NFL superstars Okay. Yeah. And if you leave them on an island and you don't have their back, there's no amount of money that the Jaguars could throw at Yannick Ngakwe to make him resign with the Jags. You could give him JJ Watt money. You could give him um, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald money, you know? money. Exactly. And he's not going to sign it because he feels disrespected from the team. Players want to be loved by their team. And actually, that's a great point because I think the Patriots, with what happened with Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady, are the perfect example. Those guys, they could have got paid by the Pats. The fact that they just didn't want to put up with Belichick and they didn't feel supported by him and Tom Brady has come out and said it, he wanted to feel loved and respected, like, that that's a grind on you. If, if, you, if that's your boss and you have to go into work and you don't like him, you're going to get the hell out of there and you're going to find somewhere else to go play. Um, so I think the Jets are a great example of that. It's a shame because I actually think Sam Darnold has a lot of talent and I would love to him, for him to be a, uh, you know, my quarterback of the future. And I think they're absolutely ruining that guy. Yep, I they, love they them. Resign Robbie Anderson. He has no weapons left. Um, they have no real plan. It seems like of how they're going to build a Super Bowl contending team. Um, I think that's a shame. And I think that's a guy that's his talent is being wasted right now. Right. Um, and two, two other offensive players, you know, obviously with Gronkowski joining the Buccaneers, you got OJ Howard. Um, I don't really see a point in O.J. Howard staying with the Buccaneers. Um, I don't think they, they're going to run, like, two tight end sets when you have all these great wide receivers. Um, and the other one is Andy Dalton. And so, you know, I think real quick I want to say on Andy Dalton, um, I was listening to the radio today, NFL Network, um, and they were saying, you know, you, th- there isn't just good and bad quarterbacks. You can have quarterbacks like Ryan Tannehill like Andy Dalton, and still make it to – how far did Ryan Tannehill go? Like, you can – AFC Yeah, you champion. can win yeah. games with these quarterbacks. You don't have to have the Russell Wilson. You know, you don't have to have the Aaron Rodgers. You can win with these quarterbacks as long as you, as a coach, make your schemes fit the players. And that's exactly what – Nick Foles, man. Exactly. Nick Foles, I didn't Ex- want to talk oh, about it, but – I can't believe I forgot. The dude, the dude beat my team, and I was like – the guy's been a journeyman backup his whole career, and and because they had a great scheme and the, and they they and they had confidence in their players, they let the players express themselves. Um, 
I I agree with you 100%. I honestly, as a Patriots fan, I would have no problem if Andy Dolan was their starting quarterback because I think in the right scheme and Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick with proper coaching and not whatever the hell they do in, in Cincinnati, yep. I think that's a guy that with the right infrastructure, I think Andy Dolan is definitely good enough to win with. I just think, I mean, if you actually look back at around 2015 when they had a very, very good supporting cast, they had uh, Gio Bernard, they had Jeremy Hill, um, they had A.J. Green in his prime. So, they had yeah. Sanu in his prime. They had Marvin Jones. They had Tyler Eifert before his before he just got destroyed by injuries. Yeah. Andy Dalton was really good. Right. He had some really good years. They they made it to the playoffs consistently. The problem was that they had Pac-Man Jones and they had Vontez Perfect trying to deplete everyone after the play. <laughs> and, try, and, and that's probably the reason why Antonio Brown turned out the nut job that he is yep. because of uh, Hasn't Vontez been the same. Perfect. Has not been the same since that hit. So, I mean, I think Andy Dolan is a guy that you could definitely win with in the right situation. I think Derek Carr is a, a similar type of guy. He's, you know, he's a B quarterback that on his best day could be like a B plus. And I think that's definitely good enough to win. Right. And, you know, if anybody could draw up a scheme, it's the New England Patriots. Like, let's just be real here. And the ability for them to coach their players and their scheme. Um, so, real quick, do you want to get into the free agent moves that the Dolphins did real quick? We'll just brush upon sure. it since it happened so long ago. Um, if you don't know, you need to stop living under that rock. Um, so basically, the Dolphins, they signed, um, I think, the biggest signing that they've had so far, and not in terms of numerical money. I think it is the Kyle Van Noy, the leader of the defense going forward. Um, such just He's just such a gadget player, and I know you can speak to it. And the way that he's just moved around the field, the fuck the play up stats that they don't keep, which I don't understand why the NFL does not keep stat of like how many times did he ruin a play, but you know, whatever. Um, you know, obviously the big money deal is Byron Jones. Um, and yes, you have to overpay, you know, it's NFL free agency. The player is going to go to wherever he has the most money. And for the Dolphins to get a player like that and stick them with Xavier Howard, they're totally trying to replicate what the New England Patriots have been doing over there. Um, and it works. So why the fuck not? You know, so I hate the talk of, you know, why are they trying to be like the Patriots and this and that? You know, it works. That's fucking why. And when you have a play, a coach that's basically lived with the New England Patriots for like 13 years or whatever it is, you have someone that knows the ins and the outs. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I think the Kyle Van Noy signing, and I think I texted you and your brother about it right away, is I think that was a home run signing for the Dolphins. It has Brian Flores' you know, uh, hands all over that. Uh, the guy coached him in New England, and if you look back at Kyle Van Noy, this is once again an example of what happens when you go from a team that doesn't know how to coach to a team that knows how to put your players in the best position. He actually came out and said that in Detroit, they literally told him they, they weren't sure how to use him or where to put him. <laughs> so in his first two years, he was a second-round oh, pick. This guy was very productive in college, a good athlete. Right, I remember watching BYU. him at BYU. He's a fucking baller. Yeah, so in his first two years in Detroit, he didn't start a single game. He had one sack. He had one quarterback hit. The, uh, then the Patriots traded for him midway in the 2016 season. They won a Super Bowl against the Falcons, obviously. Right. And then in the last three years, Van Noy's developed into, I would say, you know, as a Patriots fan, I think he's been their most important defensive player. Uh, the guy's never hurt. He's always on the field. He lines up all over the front seven. He's uh, a big part of the reason why their their defense was the number one rated defense last year. 
um, capable of playing off the edge. He can play inside linebacker. He can put his hand down. He can drop into coverage. The guy had uh, 25 combined quarterback hits the last two years, 10 sacks. So he doesn't put up these crazy numbers, but he just always seems to be in the right place at the right time. A very intelligent guy, a great leader. He's only going to be 29 years old. So it's not like you're overpaying for a guy that's, you know, past his prime. No, this guy's still got it. You know, I think he should be a solid, uh, you know, productive player on the field. He's not going to be a 10, 12 sacks kind of guy. But I think he's the perfect person to kind of be the face of the defense, to be the veteran leader, ushering in this kind of new era for the Dolphins. He's been a winner. You know, he has two Super Bowl rings with the Patriots. Um, he really checks all those boxes. I think he's perfect. And he obviously, Brian Flores knows how to use him from, you know, his time in New England. So I think that's a great signing for them. Um, I think their front sevens have been majorly improved. Uh, they, you know, they took some flyers on Emmanuel Agba, Shaq Lawson. I think the Lawson deal was an overpay. I don't really like him too much myself, having watched him in the, uh, in the playing with the Bills. Yeah. But um, I think, like you said, they're trying to replicate what the Patriots did. What do they do? They play man coverage, and they let their linebackers and defensive linemen kind of play games, do stunts, twists up front, and they make life difficult for the quarterback. <clears throat> and when you have Byron Jones and you have Zayvon Howard, you have two long corners, which is something that the Patriots have gone with with Stephon Gilmore. Um, they drafted a guy in the second round, Joan Williams, last year. He's like six foot four. Right. Um, I think that's the way to go is to build your secondary. And then you have guys up front that are versatile where you can rotate them, uh, move them around. And I think that's exactly what the Dolphins are doing. Um, you know, and I think it's going to pay off. I think those two signings are really good. Um, they had the cap space. There shouldn't be any concern about that. And now it's all about finding that franchise quarterback. Right. And, you know, you said it early in the podcast about just signing big bodies. Emmanuel Ogba is a freak of nature. Shaq Lawson, the same thing. And, you know, the signing of Eric Flowers, which obviously the Dolphins O-line is like one of the biggest um, concerns for sure. Um, Getting Eric Flowers for a three-year, $10 million a year. Like, I don't think that's an overpick, especially since he was able to kind of turn his career around. Um, So, again, it's like wait and see. If I have one critique on the Dolphins defense is that we don't have that one-star pass rusher that's going to net you double-digit sacks. But, again, having Kyle Van Noy, like, and the players that we just signed, I don't think you need to. Like, again, you're not – you don't sign Kyle Van Noy to get you 10 sacks. He's just there to be smart, lead a defense, and just fuck plays up. That's what the best defenders do. They just mess up the plays. Um, So that's that. Um, Do you have any – I don't know. I don't know if you want to do bold – you just want to do bold predictions of the draft? Sure. Uh, Log off real quick. Absolutely. So my bold predictions, let's see. Um, I think that – I I think Tua is going to end up on the Dolphins, and I think they're going to have to trade up to do that. That's my prediction. I don't think they're going to be able to sit there at five. I feel like Tua is going to be the third pick in the draft. I don't think – I just think there's too much upside for some team, whether it be the Dolphins or someone else, to not be willing to trade up and, and, and take a shot at him. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to be the third pick. I think the first two, obviously, Burrow and Chase Young. I think Tua is going number three. I think – all of like, I think at least four offensive tackles are going in the top 10. Yeah, uh, I think all those guys are going. I'm telling you, um, I'm telling you, we're gonna see a huge run, and everyone's throwing in like you know, a player like Jeff Okuda, three to the lines. Like, I don't know how in the world people see that, especially since we should know linemen 
it, whether it's on defense or offense, they just go like it's flying out of style. And, you know, the biggest, I think, concerns is, you know, you have the Chargers pushing for a quarterback. You have the Jaguars at nine, um, you know, and possibly even the Raiders. We've heard the Raiders love Jordan Love or whoever it is. Um, so I think you're right. Um, I just – I agree with you. I think we're totally going to see offensive linemen fly off the board um, along with those defensive tackles that we've talked about with Javon Kinlaw and um, what's the guy from Auburn now? John and Blank. Derek Brown. There you yep. go, Derek Brown. Who I think and if I could say one more bold prediction, I think that actually Henry Ruggs is going to get drafted before Jerry Judy from Alabama. That's, uh, that's my bold prediction. I think that's... that some team is going to fall in love with his speed yeah, and um, I think they're gonna go. I think he's gonna go before Jerry Judy. That's pretty bold, but if you think about it, it becomes less and less bold because you see what the Chiefs are able to do with Tyreek Hill. Yeah, um, and you know you can't cover him. You can't cover Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Um. So, um, I guess that pretty much wraps up the first episode of tackles and turnovers. Um, you have any closing remarks you want to say, real quick? Um, I really am excited about tomorrow's draft and I cannot wait to see, uh, Dave Gettleman from the giants, um, not know how to log on to his Wi-Fi to uh, <laughs> call in his pick because he hates analytics. So oh, I hope God. he figures out how to send that carrier pigeon with, uh, the draft pick. Um, that's something I'm going to be actually looking forward to is seeing how much the technology is going to get messed up. Uh, so it's going to be an exciting first round. And, uh, you know, the thing is that the draft is awesome that it goes over three days. So, you know, just because your team might, you know, trade back or take a pick, uh, you know, that you don't like the first day, there's still so many opportunities to, to kind of still go after these great players. And this year the draft is extremely deep. So I'm actually honestly more excited for the, for the second day with those second and third rounders, because there's a lot of times that you can get first round quality players at, you know, discount prices. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the depth of the draft this year. Right. I totally agree with you. Um, so go ahead and go follow us on Twitter. Um, Stephen P. Sheehan, you can follow Stephen at, at that on Twitter. It's with a PH. Um, you know, if you can't spell Stephen, go ahead and look at the, uh, our podcast name. You'll see it there. Um, and follow me. It's Jerez Fernandez A. Um, and just, you know, I'm super excited to finally be working on this podcast with Steven. Um, I think he knows a shit ton of football. Um, again, we both coach it. We both love it. We both live it. Um, and I guess that's it. So uh, peace out, guys. Stay safe. Um, and we'll see you guys tomorrow.